Welcome. You're listening to the podcast of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee. Well, good morning again. Uh, I want to go ahead and state the obvious. If you weren't here for the first part, I'm not Chad. I know we look alike, but he was uh, sick this week, and, and I have the privilege to, to open God's Word for you this morning. And we're going to be looking at John chapter 11, so if you have your Bibles, you can open it up. It'll be in your bulletin as well. Um, as we've been studying John, this is the last sign that John uh, gives us. He, you know, he said that he presented these signs to us so that we might believe that Christ is the Messiah and the Son, and that by believing in him, we'd have life in his name. And the first sign that he did was his presence at a wedding, and he made a wedding even more joyful than it was at the time. And now his last one, he is at a funeral, and he breaks up a funeral. And so he meets us at our greatest joys and our deepest sorrows, and he wants us to know that he's present in both and encourage us to, to trust him. And so let's stand this morning and we'll read this. We're going to do the, the first part of the chapter this morning, and the next week, uh, Chad will do part two. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard, he said, the illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. After this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he has the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light's not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let's also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So death is a fact of life, and it's something that everybody has to face. Um, just to acknowledge something peculiar about our culture, outside the medical establishment, death is far more out of sight and out of mind. 
than it ever has been in generations before us. Ben Benjamin Franklin wrote, in this world, nothing is certain except death and taxes. I didn't watch the whole Super Bowl, but I did notice that one company spent over $5 million advertising their tax software, and I didn't see any ads about funeral arrangements. We've heard of tax evasion, but we've never heard of death evasion. It's here. It's a reality. And Jesus is going to teach us this morning how to, how to look at it with him. We're going to look at two things this morning, the presence of Jesus in our sorrow and death, how he's present with us, and the promise of Jesus in our sorrow and death. What do we know? So what do we know about the presence of Jesus in our sorrow and our death that we deal with? Well, the first thing we know is it is a loving presence. We read in verse 3 and 5, and John wants to make sure that we know that Jesus loves this family. He mentions it twice, that, um, that he loves them. He, he says that, and John makes that clear because what happens next appears to be anything but loving. But his love for the family doesn't seem to be loving at all. It seems even indifferent. In verse 5, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard Lazarus was ill, now if you assume that Jesus loved him, what would you finish that verse with? Of course. So when he heard Lazarus was ill, he immediately went to Bethany. But what did Jesus do? He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And if that's not enough to convince us that we don't understand love the way that he defines it, in verse 14 and 15, it says, Lazarus has died, and I'm glad. So the first thing we learn as we look at this passage is that his love for us did not exempt us from death and sorrow and suffering. Humanly speaking, it does. If I say I love you so I will protect you from all of the hurt that is within my power to protect you. I'll do everything I can to keep you from being hurt. Jesus has all the power in the world and he allows it to happen. We need to train our hearts and minds to understand God's love in light of his word and not our circumstances. It's a loving presence, but... It's also a purposeful presence. Look at, he says in verse 4, but when Jesus heard it, he said, the illness doesn't lead to death. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. He's telling them that he's doing for them what they were created for. I grew up in the early stages of my life in a, in a Presbyterian church, and we learned the catechism. I, just only, I remember the first question, what is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So we, it, we were, this is what we were created for. It's what gives us meaning and purpose in life. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you what you were created for. But it's not going to feel like that. John Piper writes uh, the, about this verse, and it's really powerful. He said, so what is love? What does it mean to be loved by Jesus? Love means giving us what we need most. And what we need most is not healing, but full and endless experience of the glory of God. Love means giving us what will bring us the fullest and longest joy. And what is that? What will give you full and eternal joy? The answer of this text is clear. A revelation to your soul of the glory of God. 
seeing and admiring and marveling at and savoring the glory of God in Jesus Christ. When someone, someone is willing to die or let your brother die to give you and your brother that, he loves you. Don't let your circumstances define God's love and purpose for your life. I had lunch uh, last week when I started working in ministry uh, at Briarwood. There was a guy that started about the same thing I did, and he was with Campus Outreach, and he went to Thailand. He's been there ever since, um, 30-something years, and we were really close, and I hadn't seen him in forever, and so we had lunch, and he was, we were just catching up, and he was telling me about... Um, the challenges of working in a country that's 93% Buddhist and 1% Christian. And he said, but last year something happened that was really powerful. There was an actress that was a Thai actress who was a very outspoken Christian, had a very outspoken Christian witness. And it was a year ago Tuesday, and she died in a boating accident. And it was suspicious, he said. But he said in Thailand, funerals last for three days, and they're national events. And during the three-day broadcast, the live stream, 12 million people saw it, and it was filled with the gospel. And one pastor said it was the greatest outreach that Thailand has ever seen, but it cost her her life. One of the people that uh, responded to it says this, she worked for the Consulate General, and she said, I paid attention to everything said, and I was most impressed by the message that Christians don't fear death. She said, I learned that God loves everyone, and I decided I wanted to know him. After the third night of the service, she messaged the church contact on the live stream to learn more about Christianity, and they encouraged her to find a particular church. She visited the church and joined the church's online alpha course, an evangelism program. After a few lessons, she said, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I wanted to be baptized. So this girl was 37 years old and lost her life in a tragedy. Now, we're going to see her in heaven. And we'll go up to her and go, what a tragedy. Your life was taken from you at 37. Isn't that horrible? And she'll go, oh, no, that was glorious. And she'll take us to this person and say, let me introduce her. She's here because of that. And there's countless others that are here. God is committed to our highest good, which is his glory. And we've just got to train ourselves to believe that. But it's also a faithful presence. He's always faithful to work everything for our good, which is his glory and our sanctification. He promises that. And he's faithful to all his promises. Five times in this account, we see the word believe. John 20, 31. I've told you these things so that you might believe. To trust him. And you can only put your trust in someone who is worthy of your trust. And throughout the whole gospel of John, he's saying, I want you to know that you can trust Jesus Christ. You can trust him with your greatest joys and you can trust him with your greatest sorrows. In our confusion and our hurt and our pain, he's faithful. But then he tells us about the promise of Jesus and our experiences of death and uh, sorrow. And there's just a couple of things. Number one, that we learn that death is only sleep for those who follow Christ. The disciples are confused that Jesus said that Lazarus is asleep, but Jesus never wasted a word. 
And we're not talking about some intermediate soul sleep. We're talking about Jesus says, Lazarus is asleep, and I'm going to go wake him up. And um, by the way, this is where we get our term cemetery. It's a place of sleep. But he teaches us that death is a conquered foe. When he raises Lazarus from the dead, he says, I have conquered death. Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 15. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is a law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. When I, when I was young, I, I almost died twice from bee stings. I got, I don't know, pretty allergic to them. And so this story, I love this story, and it's a story of a man and his young, young daughter that were uh, riding a car, and she was highly allergic to bees, de- deadly allergic, and they were, had the windows down because it was a beautiful day, and a bee flew in, and the girl just freaked out. She started to panic, and she started to cry and scream and go, Daddy, get that bee out of here. It's gonna, I, 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 if it stings me, I'll die, and the bee was bumping up against the windshield, and the dad just reached up and grabbed it, and he sat there for a a couple of seconds and then he just opened his hand up and the bee started fluttering around again she started to panic again and she goes daddy get him out why'd you let him go and, and he opened up his hand and he said you see his stinger's right here he can't hurt you anymore I took his sting so that he can't hurt you anymore and the story tells us that Jesus took the sting up to, and something infinitely worse than a bee sting he took our death for us no, we still live, death still flutters around. But scripture tells us that it's just the shadow of death. And we learn that death is just the beginning. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. For us, death comes before life. For the world, death comes at the end of life. Clearly, he is saying here that our lives in him begin with death and lead to life. And it was the life that we were created to live. Paul writes this way in Romans 6, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead for the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The Christian life begins with a death. It's a death to ourself. It's a death to our will. It's a death to whatever we want when it comes into into contrast with Christ's will. But it's the life that we were created to live. It's a new life. John says his commands aren't burdensome. Uh, One of a classic book that I love is by Dietrich Bonhoeffer called the, uh, um, the Cost of Discipleship. And he says this, he said, the cross is laid on every Christian. It begins with the call to abandon the attachments of this world. Uh, it is the dying of the old man which is a result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Since this happens at the beginning of the Christian life, the cross can never be merely a tragic ending to an otherwise happy religious life. 
When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. It may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave home and work and follow him, or it may be a death like Luther's who had to leave the monastery and go out into the world. But it's the same death every time. Death in Jesus Christ, the death of the old man at his call. So he calls us to die so that we can live in him. But he invites us to step into his easy yoke. Come unto me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my burden is easy and my burden is light. He says, this is the easy yoke. Scripture tells us that the way of the transgressor is hard. It doesn't mean that we won't suffer. It, don't, it doesn't mean that we won't experience profound hardships. But it does mean that, we love, that he loves us, and it does mean that it's the life that we were created to live. Do you believe this? <laughs> Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the son of the God who is coming into the world. You know, ultimately, our faith rests in a person, Jesus Christ. She didn't answer the question the way she, he asked it, did she? But she answered the question the way that John intended her. He did these signs so that he would know her and put faith, and know him and put faith in her faith in him. So, uh, this passage challenges us in several ways. I just want to bring a couple of them out. It challenges us, number one, in the area of prayer. When Lazarus comes back sick, what did they do? They prayed. The first thing they did. They called out to Jesus. When it looked hopeless, what did they do? She kept praying. Do you believe that Jesus is able to do immeasurably more than all you can ask or imagine according to his power that's working within you? Is there a situation that you're involved in right now that just seems like it's impossible? calls us to pray do you desire that his name be exalted through whatever happens in your life he calls you to pray but it also challenges us in the area of our perspective he says I'm the resurrection and the life whoever believes in me though he die yet shall he live and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die notice that Jesus turns our understanding of life and death upside down we know that if we are in Christ, death is the beginning, not the end. We don't need to fear death. For those who are not in Christ, death brings judgment and life is empty. Hebrews 2.14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that's the devil, and deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Without Christ, the world is in lifelong sl slavery to the fear of death. And if we didn't see that during the pandemic, we can never see it a tangible fear of dying. But also there's just an emptiness in life because we can't do what we were created to do, which is glorify God. I, I, one of my 
favorite movies. Um, it's about to eclipse The Sound of Music, which is really difficult for me to say, but it's The Greatest Showman. And I, I love it. I, I, like, I watch it all the time, and I listen to the soundtrack all the time. And, there, and in the middle of The Greatest Showman, there's this, there's this song where Jenny Lynn is making her appearance and taking the country by storm, and it's called Never Enough. And she expresses the heart of anybody that doesn't know Christ. And the words of that song says, all the shine of a thousand spotlights, all the stars we steal from the night sky will never be enough. Towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world but it'll never be enough. All the world has to offer is an empty life. And Christ offers us a life of meaning and purpose and substance. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And the only word that you can put in that blank with Christ is Christ and end it with to die as gain. I was at the Y yesterday afternoon down here, and um, I ran into my friend Jack Foster, who uh, we were on staff together for a while, and now he's at West End. He's just a great guy, and we were just talking about um, the past year, and um, he said, uh, you, you know, I, let, me, let me just address the elephant in the room. My family's lived this for the last couple of years, and y'all have lived it with us, and I would say that just a little bit of a, a you notice that Martha and Mary and Lazarus had a community around them. Don't let that pass you. Your community is so important. And we had a community around us. Um, but Jack, uh, was, he, he was asking me in the middle of our conversation, he said, did you ever think about Anita and get jealous of where she is? And I thought, no, but I should. I'm like these disciples. I got so caught up in my grief and everything that I never thought about the fact that she's with Jesus. He's happy to live as Christ, but to die is gain. <laughs> to die is gain. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But Paul does say, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Your labor is not empty. C.S. Lewis in his great work, The Weight of Glory, said, indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised to us in the gospel, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. The Lord offers us life through his resurrection. And he offers the promise that he loves us and he's working his purposes in our life. As I close, I'm going to Jonathan Edwards died at age 54, and it, just, it would seem as well to be tragic. And uh, he preached a sermon on Romans 8, and these were his three points. Our bad things turn out for good, and these are true for all of us that are in Christ. Our good things can never be lost, and the best things are yet to come. Father, we thank you for the promise of Scripture.
Jesus, we love you. Thank you that you're with us. Thank you that you're with us through your body. Thank you that you're with us through your spirit. And thank you for the promise that we have that one day we'll not only be with you, but we'll be like you. Give us grace to rest in that for Christ's sake. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about Covenant, please visit covenantpres.com.